The Wholeness Network. Awaken to the reality of wholeness. Anna Runkle, known as the crappy childhood fairy, grew up in a home full of neglect, abuse, and dysfunction. Through her determination to find answers for her suffering and seek help, she discovered she has childhood PTSD or complex PTSD, and with help along the way, she found tools for healing. Now, her life's mission is to support others who may suffer as she did. Her YouTube videos and online classes have helped people across the globe. Anna, your story is the epitome of what we would call wholeness. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to teach people around the world how to heal from trauma that you understand so well. Ah, uh, okay, that's, <laughs> that's the deep question, right? It started about 26 years ago, 27 years ago, when my childhood PTSD was completely out of control. But in those days, there was no word for it. Mm -hmm. I was going to therapy. I was going to doctors. It had been really set off because not only did I have all the stuff that had happened when I was a kid, but I had been I was attacked on the street mm. and that triggered like new PTSD. And right in those two weeks, uh, somebody broke up with me and my mom died. <laughs> I'm laughing. It's not funny, but uh, it's funny how life hands you like a whole cluster yes. of horrible traumas at once. And the bright side of that is it forced me to it forced me to have to find a better way. It was totally unbearable. My PTSD got so bad, I couldn't read. I couldn't use a phone. And, you know, I was, the doctor was like, well, you're, we're, we did a CAT scan. You look fine. <laughs> and I wasn't fine. So I confided in a friend who I barely knew, some girl who was 23 years old and had tattoos all over her. And I told her, I said, I just, I'm not seeing a way that I'm going to get better. My life is getting worse and worse and worse. I'm going to therapy three times a week. I don't know what's wrong with me, but something's not right. And she said, do you want to try what I did to get sober? And I don't have an alcohol problem, but at that point I would have tried anything. And she showed me how to start writing my fearful and resentful thoughts on paper and to ask for them to be removed. And at the time I didn't, I didn't believe in God or a higher power or anything. She said, well, just pretend you do because you need some help. And <laughs> so I did. I wrote at the end a, a little prayer. And much to my surprise, I started to feel much better immediately. She said, do this twice a day. And by two weeks, I, I could not only read and use a telephone again. You know, my focus came back. Mm -hmm. But I was more focused than I'd ever been in my life. Now, it was years before I knew what that was. I was dysregulated before. That's something that research has only revealed in the last 10 years, like what's going on. Maybe some people knew it, but it wasn't permeating the culture enough that somebody like me or my doctor would have ever heard of it. But it's a neurological dysregulation that's really, really common for people who were abused or neglected when they were kids. Yeah, we call it triggered, like people would say triggered nowadays, maybe same yeah. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's a feeling that's familiar to people. And everybody gets triggered. Everybody gets dysregulated sometimes. And everybody eventually re-regulates unless they're very, 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 you know, racked by mm -hmm. PTSD. I've never met somebody who, 
who didn't have times of re-regulation. Mm-hmm. So what I teach was how to re-regulate. And it, took, it was a real process for me to get from where I learned these techniques to where my life changed. Well, first, my life changed in a lot of ways, like the depression was lifted. I still had a lot of wacky behaviors going on <laughs> that I learned while I was dysregulated. And also, I grew up in a family that had a lot of alcoholism and drug addiction, and we were neglected. And the reason we were neglected is because a lot of weird behaviors were going on with my mom and the people in her life. So I, I didn't know a lot of basic stuff like, like how to keep a confidence when somebody tells you a secret or when you're supposed to say thank you and when it's too much or how should you go on a first date and be measured about it? Like none of this stuff. Like I never, I was just freelancing my life, you know, sort of bumping into things and making mistakes, but never having a way to really find out how do you live. So Over time, uh, I started teaching other people just one-on-one. I'd show them the techniques that I used to feel better. We still still didn't have a word for it. But over the years, I probably showed 300 people. And people started gathering in my living room. And about five years ago, I had a gathering of maybe a dozen people in my living room because it had got out that I knew what to do about childhood trauma. And people were coming to my house. People, neighbors on my street popped in. And I thought, this is huge. I'm going to have to start a blog. I started a blog. I wrote some articles. I made a video to put in the article. And then next thing you know, I have a YouTube channel and a website. Then I started making courses. And then I started doing coaching. And now it's just like a whole universe of things. I have like four people who work with me on this. And Mm. I don't even know how, where it's going next. But it's (laughs) such a joy. I'm finally, I'm teaching the main thing that matters in my whole life is like how to be how to be happy, mm-hmm. how to be your real self, how to get over what happened. Yeah. And that's what I love because uh, it, how you're teaching is so, because it's so personal, it helps all of us relate to you so much better. And so you've taken this part of your life that was maybe ugly and it's become vital to who you are. And so that is complete wholeness. That is that is our goal in our life is to learn these lessons and, and teach others, I believe, I believe. So you've done that so well. You are the epitome of that idea. And <laughs> and we appreciate how um, vulnerable you are with that because um, it makes us safe. You know, when you know what it's like to be dysregulated, then that helps us feel safe in being able to call it out when it's happening. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And so you're, you talked about your writing and you call that kind of your, your morning routine. I call it the daily practice. Daily yeah. practice. Yes. Yep. Daily practice. I do as soon as I said that. Um, so tell us exactly what it is and how long have you been doing it? How long have you been doing that? Well, these are the very techniques that my friend showed me back in February, 1994. Wow. <laughs> in her warehouse apartment when it was freezing cold and no heat, <laughs> sleeping bags on our lap, staying up all night with cups of tea. And she saved my life. Sleeping bags and hot tea. Like those are yeah. the pivotal moments in our lives. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. She needed a ride home. I'm so glad I raised my hand and said I would give her that ride home. I was, mm. we were up, all, we were up till the sun came up mm. <laughs> that night. And, um, So I teach the very techniques. Now, what she taught me, she had learned in a 12-step context, and I learned it that way. And when certain leaders and thought leaders in the movement to bring research underneath childhood trauma, and not just like throw psychological opinions about why is this happening and why do we act the way we do, 
but the research came out about dysregulation. Like we're, we're not actually trying to recreate our childhoods. People like Bessel van der Kolk, Pete Walker, um, I could name more. Those are two who really like opened my eyes to what this really <laughs> is. Um, so when I learned that, I put this new context around techniques that I had been doing for years. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you these techniques, I did them every day and there's a second part. So there's two parts. The first part is writing fears and resentments on paper and asking for them to be removed. Now I don't recommend to people just like, don't just take what I just said and do anything because a lot of us were taught and conditioned to journal. This is not a journal. Mm-hmm. Journals have their place, and but a journal's purpose is to record and remember what happened. You might wanna revisit that memory. You might wanna look for patterns in it. This is a totally different thing. The spirit of writing your fears and resentments is more like pulling wet leaves off your windshield mm-hmm. or sweeping just like old hair off the floor. It's just junk. Mm-hmm. You don't need it. You don't need to look at every piece of it. You just need to get it out of there. So that's that's what the daily practice writing is about. It's you writing fears and resentments, and it's just this random stuff that gets on there. And it, sometimes it's trivial, and sometimes it's very serious. But it's all just stuff that goes on the paper. Then it's followed by meditation. Now my friend taught me. She said, "Go learn transcendental meditation." And my teacher who taught me is still in my life and he, it's called Vedic meditation now. It's more like a generic unbranded, you know, ancient tradition of super simple meditation. On my website, I teach something that's not even that. It's just <laughs> close your eyes for 20 minutes. I mean, I just wanted to give people something they could do right now and not have to go get a teacher. Mm-hmm. But still, if people like meditation, I highly recommend getting a teacher in what you're trying to learn. But I just teach them, you sit down and you close your eyes for 20 minutes and you use a word like, okay, or this, just to kind of hold your focus from going completely all over the place, like chickens, you know, Mm -hmm. but you're not, you don't have to like control your thoughts or you focus on your breath or sit up straight or anything, which is very good for people like me. It's got to be easy. You can do it while breastfeeding. You can do it while in the hospital. You can do it in your car, Mm -hmm. not while driving. You got to pull over. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a, these are just like really simple things, paper in my purse all the time, you know, and a place to, I, I used to have an office job when I was first learning this. And I would, I, I learned that if I was freaking out at work and my PTSD was getting a hold of me, well, I couldn't work. So I would have been, you know, cheating my employer anyway. I would stop, I would write my fears and resentments. I would stop and close my eyes and meditate. And it looks like you're just writing on a piece of paper so I could bring my brain back online. And why does it work? Why do you think it works? Well, I first learned it as a spiritual technique. Mm-hmm. And the way that I was taught to sign off was it's a prayer. It's to, a prayer to say, you know, I, I please remove these fears and resentments and ask for the knowledge of, of what I'm to do next and the power to do it. Then, you know, I did that for years this is what I was telling you. I did it for about 12 years. I gave up for a while before I knew about PTSD, right? I didn't do it for about two years or except maybe just like in an emergency. And within two years, it's like my PTSD had gotten much worse under the surface and my symptoms got much worse. And I started really losing the power of discernment and judgment. I ended up in a really sick relationship. Like I had really regressed in my behavior, like things had gotten better. 
And it was a very bad time to regress. I was a mom. I was a single mom. I quit when I got divorced because I was like, see, there's no God. Or nothing's any good. And I give up and I'm just going to do whatever. So I did whatever for a couple of years. But it, it, it came to my attention that I was completely um, turning into an even worse version of myself than I had been when I first came into this. Um, and that's a whole story. And I do share that on, in my, in my materials online, but, but, uh, I came back to it. I came back to it and I still, I was still using it as a spiritual technique and, um, I still use it as a spiritual technique, but what happened is in 2015, I read the book, the body keeps the score and found out that all kinds of science and research accords with my spiritual practice. And that's what I found to be true. If something is true and it works, you're gonna see it on the spiritual level, on the scientific level, on the practical level, like it's all going to work together. Mm -hmm. Good, they're not gonna contradict each other. And, and they don't. So what I learned is that a lot of people who are dysregulated, now there's, I think there's roughly two camps. This is somewhat a matter of opinion, but I don't think it's too far out there. But people who get dysregulated, and you know you're dysregulated when you're feeling kind of discombobulated, you lose your train of thought like I just did a minute ago, just sort of like trails off. It happens to everybody. But, you know, with PTSD, you could just be like really not able to function with it. Um, getting numb in your fingers or emotions get way too big or uh, flat. So there's some key signs of dysregulation. So those of us who do it what we respond to with treatment, it's seldom talking about what happened in the past. That's the old model. You know, mm -hmm. well, what happened? And let's talk about your parents for several weeks or months or years. Mm -hmm. So that thing, that didn't work for me. That made me more dysregulated and more sad and feel hopeless and feel like something was wrong with me that everybody else thinks this is like so great, but it's not helping me. Some people really respond to a body approach like um, yoga or stretching or marching or dancing, mm -hmm. da line dancing, square dancing. There's all these forms of dancing when you're doing it with anything physical that you're doing where you're focusing on the left side and the right side. Focusing on the left side and right side amplifies the effect. Doing it with other people amplifies it still further. Mm -hmm. So we start finding out like people must have known about trauma for millenniums. Mm -hmm. millennia right mm -hmm. they, they maybe they didn't know but they just noticed that they felt better when they dance also singing together mm -hmm. um it's really hard because we're recording this during covid and it's dancing together and singing together are right. things that are like not easy to make happen so a lot of people's symptoms are getting worse but um so some people are very physical with that some people and i would be more in this camp we're all a little of both but it seems like we sort of favor one or the other it's a little bit more language and so I call it hamsters. Mm -hmm. So when I'm dysregulated, my, my negative thoughts are going like hamsters on a wheel in my mind. And I'm just like, you know, if you could hear my thoughts, actually, sometimes you can. <laughs> <laughs> I start talking to myself and I'm like, oh, my kids are like, mom, you know, yeah. you're talking to yourself, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> out of my mouth. But that's what it is. I'm having fearful and resentful thoughts mm -hmm. that, you know, oh, fear they don't like me and fear I'm not, not good enough. And sometimes it comes out as trivial stuff. Fear we're going to run out of forks at the dinner and, you know, yeah, it could be big stuff. Fear the world's coming to an end and mm -hmm. whatever it is, it's stopping me from being present mm -hmm. and being able to reflect love and energy that, that comes through me naturally by being mm -hmm. alive. 
So, so I'm more of a languagey person and the techniques that I teach have a little of both. This main technique is about getting the hamsters out, you know, just getting, just letting the hamsters out, getting them on paper, asking them for be, be, be removed. Um, and I'll give you this other analogy for it. Think of yourself as a leaky boat. Your mind is a leaky boat and everybody's boat is a little bit leaky with complex PTSD, the kind that comes from childhood trauma for so many of us. It's like a, a little more leaky. And so fearful and resentful thoughts just keep getting in and kind of pulling the boat down and making it so you can't steer the boat or get where you're trying to go. And you have two little paper cups. <laughs> your morning daily practice and your evening daily practice. And you're taking them and you're scooping the water out and you're just putting it back in the ocean. <laughs> right. And it's going to get back in. But it's, it's sometimes it's the exact same fears every day. Sometimes they change a little bit. Mm -hmm. Over time, you get where you're trying to go. And, uh, and I have, I, my mind is less, less hamstery, but boy, you know, like you're never yeah. <laughs> hamster free. Right. <laughs> have you ever had an experience where it was time to release it and you could tell it was going to be, that was scary to release it, like that you could feel the protection of that fear. Did you, have you ever had that before or heard of anybody that's done that? Cause I know like there's those times when you're like, oh, this is big, you know, and like, just to let it go, it seems yeah. a scary. Well, you know, the woman who taught me this, she really helped me at the beginning to, um, with some key ideas that I just ended up, I think the scariest thing for me was to believe that nobody was doing this to me. Mm -hmm. Like stuff was done to me. I was, I was abused and neglected as a kid, but that's over now. And the people who did it are dead. And so what's happening now, it's in here. And at first it was really hard for me to accept that. I had this very strong cause and effect thing. Like, well, I, I have to treat people badly today. You know, I, I had to be awful to that bank teller because my mom, blah, 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 back mm -hmm. in 1970, whatever, you know. And um, <laughs> that wasn't serving me. It wasn't, that, that wasn't an idea that had any leverage to change anything. And what did was just realizing when I'm in certain situations, um, and that used to be one of my triggers was customer service difficulty, you know, where I was asking for something and I didn't feel heard. And my emotions would just go like boil over and I would regret how I behaved. I would be too angry, too demanding, too, you know, as if there were, you know, we all know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. To us, we've done it, you know, we know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really, I didn't like that. And the point when I hit bottom with that was my son who was just a toddler at the time was with me at a bank and I was angry that something happened and it's true. It wasn't, it was, what had happened was, it was, it had been going on a long time. They said they would fix it, they didn't, but whatever. My poor son had to see me yelling at this bank teller and it was very upsetting to him. And that's when I knew like, I, this, this has to stop, this has to stop. And yet, where do you go? Like nobody seems to really know how to do this. When you have this, I mean, for so many people, the people who resonate with me online, they go, I've been going to people all my life and nobody understood. They give you normal people solutions. They're like, well, why don't you breathe? Or why don't you just date nice people? And you're like, <laughs> yeah. Like when a when a big truck is coming down the highway at you, it doesn't matter if you breathe. You know, yeah. it's gonna like, it's just gonna get you, and so nobody understands. So you go into this kind of like hiding mode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and you and so and we call that like you call it childhood PTSD or complex PTSD. And so and and so explain that a little bit what that is and and how that is different than you're just 
regular triggered, you know, like it is a different beast. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, every, every year we're going to know more about it. So what I say now may, may be slightly different in some time, but as best as I can understand it. Uh, well, everybody can be triggered. Some people's triggers are a little bit more volatile, but specifically, um, and childhood PTSD is just a colloquial term. And I use it just because everybody knows what I'm talking about. They, they know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. The trauma, abuse and neglect during childhood can, not always, can have lasting effects on the nervous system of a person that lasts for a long, long time. I'm not going to say forever because it's, you know, it can be ever changing, mm -hmm. but it can be quite permanent. And so there was a study called the ACE study that uh, it's, it's sort of an ongoing piece of research, but the, 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 the findings started to emerge about 20 years ago. They started to sort of become public more like 10 years ago. And now it's more well-known and accepted in the healthcare world, but it's sure not integrated in practice yet. Some places it is, but it, you know, it's still, it's so early, it's just early days. But what it, what it was, it was two doctors, one from the Centers for Disease Control, one from Kaiser Permanente, and one of them had been running a weight loss clinic um, at Kaiser in Oakland for women who were morbidly obese. And they were having these tremendous results and women would lose a lot of weight, 200 pounds, but in almost every case, they would hit some weird day where then they started to gain it back. Mm. And they wanted to understand why that was. And they started to ask questions. And their answers for why they gained it back are not satisfying to me. But one of the questions they asked was the right question. And the question was, were you sexually abused? Mm. And they found out that among morbidly obese women in their, in their program, 80% had been sexually abused. Mm. They were like, wait a minute. You know, could all of this be <laughs> right. related to abuse? Now, their hypothesis, and some people still believe this, I don't, is that what the, what causes that is they're just trying to avoid sexuality. And I think that could be true for some people, but we now know that also abuse, like particularly sexual abuse, causes endocrine changes. And the relationship of hormones that govern appetite and metabolism mm. are disrupted and so it may not, you know, many elements of this are not behavioral at all. They're definitely not like your fault. Mm -hmm. There's a change in there. And so, you know, keeping in mind that the nervous system governs your brain, all your nerves, your endocrine system, your immune system. So they started looking for correlations. They made a rough index called the ACE survey and it's 10 questions. They're totally inadequate, but they're something. It's an index mm -hmm. and it covers things like, were you sexually abused? Did you see your mother hit? Were you hit? Mm -hmm. uh, did somebody in your family have a mental illness? Did somebody go to prison? It's 10 things like that. There's a lot of things they didn't include that you should include. And they're not weighted in an appropriate right. way. They don't help you tell the difference between was your mom depressed for a few months or did she have schizophrenia and, right. and you're homeless all your life? Like there's no distinction. Right. So it's, it's an imperfect measurement, but it was a measurement. And they took that and then they just looked at health outcomes. Do you have heart disease? Do you have diabetes? And they found out that there's this direct horizontal line of correlation there between the number of adverse childhood experiences, that's where we get ACE, A-C-E, adverse childhood experiences, the number of those, of, of the 10, one to 10, and whether you have type two diabetes, 
whether you have obesity, whether you smoke, whether you have an addiction. And we knew that adverse childhood experiences, it's intuitive that it causes depression, anxiety, that those things are linked, maybe terrible choices in romantic partners. But we didn't know it caused heart disease, cancer. Right, <laughs> you know? right. so uh, blatant health. I mean, like just full on health issues. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. the A-square is so... And vital. And I tell people, you know, you got to, it's an intuitive thing. So let's say, Hey, if, if that, let's say you're, somebody didn't go to prison, but you know, your brother was in and out of juvie all the time. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's it. Or, or yeah. even if you give yourself a half a point when it's like that kind yeah. of fits, like, you know, you, then you can get a sense of these score, a little bit of score. And I think it's anything was it three and above is where your health is impacted. You yeah, know, it's it's you don't have to have very many of these before it impacts yeah. your well-being and health for sure. Yeah. yeah. So whatever the numbers come out to, we just sort of know this could be why. So you might see right now if you can see see how I have no pigment on the back of my hand. Mm -hmm. I have almost no pigment on my face either. And that's vitiligo, that's an autoimmune disorder. Mm -hmm. I have no thyroid either. That's an autoimmune disorder. Mm -hmm. There's no way to say, "Oh, that was caused by trauma," but you know, I'm, I'm a seven out of 10, seven or eight on an ACE score. And, uh, you know, there's a high probability that my early trauma had something to do with my autoimmune diseases sort of bearing fruit. They've said that for every one ACE, uh, every one point on the score, the odds of an autoimmune disorder coming on is increased 20%. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Like hardly anything in medicine is that like clear, mm -hmm. very clear. Um, and so when I learned that, I said, all right, so it's imperative that I stay regulated. Well, this, so some other things that have gone on in my life is I had a medical catastrophe following a surgery that should not have been catastrophic, but something went wrong. And it was a surgery to repair some, um, um, some internal damage from childbirth. Mm -hmm. And it ended up like being an explosion in my system. And I ended up having mm -hmm. to have 14 major surgeries and none of them worked. Each surgery left me more damage than the last one. Wow. I had one of the best surgeons in this area, you know, in the world. And she said, I just don't know what it is. Every surgery we've done has independent odds of like 97% chance of working, but it, you're always the 3%. Wow. And we don't know why. So here's, here's my best guess about that. Now that I know what, that I, about ACEs and how it impacts your nervous system, your nervous system governs blood flow and tissue repair. So if they're taking, they were taking muscle that have been destroyed and, you know, knitting it back together fiber by fiber, and then it would just come apart. They go, we don't know why it's not getting blood flow. Mm. So I set back, I, 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 I was gradually learning this science. I said, I've really got to learn to re-regulate. And that's when I realized I got to get back to my daily practice. It worked it calmed me down. It got my head clear. Maybe it's helping my nervous system and bingo. That's what it was. And once I started doing that, I, I was able to heal. Now, before I healed, all of these surgeries had go, gone wrong. I had an ostomy. They told me I would have it for life and they were getting ready to remove uh, my large intestine because wow. it, leaving it unused was a cancer risk. And I, I asked for a little time to just, <laughs> mm -hmm. I couldn't deal with more surgery right then. Mm. It's very traumatic in its own right. And it was mm -hmm. a lot and I was a single mom and it was very hard mm -hmm. to just manage. And I waited and I'm so glad I did because in the year that I asked to wait, um, 
I one day noticed that I had no pain. And when I saw the surgeon again, I said, could you check? Cause I, I think I'm okay. And I was okay. And I didn't need the ostomy anymore. And I had it taken down. And I said, does this happen all the time? She said, no, I've seen miracles, but not this one. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. then I, so I've asked around people who were trauma smart doctors, you know, people mm -hmm. who were really informed by that. And I said, what was that? And they said, well, because of trauma, we can somaticize things sometimes. And somaticize means to physicalize, to manifest physically the trauma that's in the spirit and in the nervous system. And it's physicalized. And of course it will be. That's how, that's how it works. Mm -hmm. because, because it's somaticized, when there's a healing on one level, there you can unsomaticize it. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big fan of unsomaticizing wherever you can. Is there chronic pain? Is there something that could heal? Obviously not everything's somatic. If you go fight in a in combat and you lose a leg, you know, right. Nothing you do is going to make that leg come back. Not yet. We don't have right. <laughs> we don't, we don't have it yet. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But many things are like that. And so it's always good to look for them and try well, and do your best. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think it only makes sense that an, an autoimmune or your body fighting against itself, because really in these yeah. childhood moments, you, it, it, the truth of who you are is being impacted. So you are fighting against your truth. You know, that truth of who you are really gets taken under. And so that fight against it saying, this is not who I really am makes sense to me. You know, that just makes sense because you're living this life that isn't really you. And it's been impacted by all kinds of abuse. There's all kinds of abuse and all kinds of neglect. There's emotional, mental, physical abuse. There's emotional, mental, physical neglect, right? So, but all of those come together um, that take away this pureness and truth that you were born in. And, and I yeah. think that's what getting rid of the leaves on the, on the windshield is part of getting back to your truth as much, as much as we can. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's so much more than just getting rid of the pain. That's what I, I mean, I would have settled for that yeah. to get out of emotional pain, but it turns out that that is the portal. That is the opening for what it's really for, which is to come through and become who you were really created to be Yeah, and bring the gifts that you have to bring. Oh, so agree. So agree. So it, you have a really good YouTube video um, about what has helped you and then what hasn't helped you. <laughs> so you don't have to go into all of those things, but just tell us, I mean, that's something that I know it's, it's popular because we needed somebody to stand up and say, some of these things didn't help. And here's what did. So what, what does help with the, is it the re-regulation is really what we're after the things that help you re-regulate. That's, that's what we're talking about. Would you say? I think re-regulation is foundational. Like there's more to healing than just getting your brain together, okay. but not, you can't really put, do anything like, like talk therapy where you want to maybe talk about what happened and understand better why you are the way you are. That's impossible when you're dysregulated. So once you learn to re-regulate and you get some awareness and you can say, Oh, I'm wait, I'm getting dysregulated. Hold on. Let me come back. Then things become possible. So I'll tell you that, you know, I'll tell you what has worked for me and I am not the prototype person. Like, People respond to different things, but I will tell you, you know, like thousands of people have said, I'm like you, it's common. It's mm -hmm. common to be like me. Um, but one is this writing together with a simple meditation has helped me to learn to re-regulate. Common sense things like getting enough sleep, exercising vigorously, um, trying to eat in a way that's a little more protein heavy and a little less carb heavy, things like that help with re-regulation, mm -hmm. as well as activities that focus on left and right, activities done in a group, 
staying socialized. Like once we, the PTSD causes people to isolate. That's one of the most severe side effects is a great loneliness and a being triggered by people that leads to isolation. And so always working on your capacity to deal with people so that you can participate mm -hmm. um, is regulating, but doing it too fast can be dysregulating. So it's, a, it's about getting that right and being gentle, but persistent, mm -hmm. bringing yourself out into the world. Um, so that worked. Of the therapies out there, there's only one. I've tr I've, I haven't tried everything that's out there, but uh, only one of what I have tried has been definitely helpful, and that was EMDR. Um, and do your listeners know what that is? Do you want me to? We have something called, um, in our library, we have something called, um, it's um, rapid eye technique. Mm -hmm. And it's like mm -hmm. the coaching version of EMDR. Yeah. So, but yeah, explaining EMDR yeah. for us. I, well, I love it because it's, it was discovered very simply. A woman was walking. She noticed when she was looking around that she felt better mm -hmm. and nobody knows exactly why this helps. It has something to do probably with sides of the brain. And I, it's, it stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing mm -hmm. and it, it is used and approved of by the Veterans Administration here in the U.S., which to me is like, well, if they think it's good, it must be something. because they don't they don't just hand out approval very right, easily. Right, right. Being being a being a soldier is a serious business, and you can't be messing around with fake mm -hmm. solutions. Mm -hmm. You know, they really every you know life depends on being able to recover and heal and and put things back together. And we know how much some people have struggled when they come back from combat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they, they did more research in it and, and validated it. And now it's widely available. Now it depends a lot on who your practitioner is. I tried two practitioners, both good, both good people. One of them was a guy who traditionally worked with homeless veterans on the streets of San Francisco. That guy worked like a charm for me. He was mm -hmm. super like, matter of fact, he's like, all right, hold the paddles. And, and for me, it wasn't eye movement. He had me hold vibrating paddles in my hands and the left one would vibrate and the right one would vibrate. And he would sort of guide me to like, okay, visit the troubling memory. Mm. Now, now do this, now come back and sit in the room, feel yourself in the chair. And he sort of talked me through it and it didn't take a lot of talk. Mm -hmm. The second practitioner who I saw, who I think a lot of people love and she's great, but it wasn't good for me um, was more oriented towards talking about things. So I'd say, all right, well, I'm remembering this bad thing that happened. She'd go, oh, that's terrible. I would immediately dysregulate. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Stop caring about me. It's going to like <laughs> knock me off my balance here. Yes. So for, me, for me, being able to use a technique that doesn't require talking, that's what both of my power techniques, well, all three, the Writing, you could, it turns out writing is a totally different part of the brain. Mm -hmm. There's a guy named Pennebaker who uh, did a lot of research on this. You can write about what happened without re-triggering yourself. Many of us can. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say absolutely everybody. Right. If talking about it is triggering. Try writing about it. And then you can read what you wrote. Mm -hmm. yeah. Totally different. Yeah. So how can um, a loved one or partner of someone who is with somebody with childhood, how can you recognize it? What does it look like um, outside looking in? Mm -hmm. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I have some videos that are for partners of people with CPTSD. And um, so one thing I would say is 
it can be as if you're with an intoxicated person sometimes when they're triggered. It makes no sense why they got this way. They're being unreasonable. They're misinterpreting what happened. And you just think to yourself, how could they possibly misinterpret me? That's not what I said. Um, obviously I care about them and I'm here, but a person with CPTSD can get triggered and go into a, a thing where their, their reasoning is down, their emotions are up. They're being either very angry or very sad uh, emotional flashbacks are a thing that happen where an old emotional state is coming back with no memory associated with it. It just feels like, no, this is how I feel about right now. Mm -hmm. So for example, like what I have gotten emotional flashbacks over is I wake up in the morning and I just feel like, you know what? Everything is just so chaotic. And I can say to my husband, I cannot take this anymore you know we have got to stop everything and get stuff more organized around here and he'll be like what what are you talking about <laughs> it's the same as it always is kind of disorganized but more or less okay and i'll be and then my emotional flashback will go you see nobody cares nobody's gonna help and i have to do everything mm. and then you know the same old argument used to ensue after that again mm -hmm. and again when I learned about what this was, uh, I started figuring out, oh, it's a flashback. Um, probably there was a time when I was laying in a crib going, this is so chaotic and nobody's gonna do anything and it's got to get better and I'm gonna have to do everything, even though I'm two and a half or whatever. It's right. not a, I don't remember, I don't remember. There's no right. memory associated with it, but it sure is a strong feeling that comes on in me and it makes me very unreasonable um, it just, it leads to conflict and unpleasantness and tears. <laughs> it, once I knew what it was, I learned that when I feel that way, I can not say anything. Mm. I mean, what a powerful tool. I can not say anything. <laughs> right I can go do my writing and my meditation and then come back. I always tell myself, I'm going to do that first. Then I'll tell them all the things that need to be done around here. But by the time I've meditated, I've completely forgot the whole train of thought that something needed to be done. It's an irrational, it's not irrational, but it's right. way amplified, right? It's way amplified. And, it's, and so it's horrible. So first, what really helped me is Pete Walker um, is a, is a guy who he has a book called CPTSD from surviving to thriving that is seminal in this movement and reading that was really powerful. And I had a word for that and having a word for it and a definition enabled me to stop it right away. Mm -hmm. Stop acting on it. Well, I could recognize when it's happening and I could turn it around. That's so that was, like, yeah, that was yeah. life changing for me. Mm -hmm. So for my husband, I asked him, I said, what have you learned from being with me? Because when I first started, I don't know, four and a half years ago saying, I'm going to write a book. I thought this would be a book and I still hope it will be, but it's been a lot of a crappy childhood fairy is a lot of things, not yet a book, but, um, he said, I'm really worried you're just trying to excuse your bad behavior and I'm not sure if I'm behind all of this. Mm. Seems like a bunch of psychobabble that you're trying to use to justify being unkind. And um, I was really hurt and offended by that yeah. because once I had had my epiphany and I knew what it was, the yeah. only way I could demonstrate to him that this is real is by changing. Mm -hmm. So it was when I could start changing that morning behavior that happened to me sometimes when I could start changing that and then just say what's happening and say, I think that thing is happening. Now he says it to me. Mm -hmm. So I asked him, I asked him, I don't know, sometime in this past year, I asked for some advice for other partners of people with CBTSD. What would he say? And I wrote down what he said and I made a video about it. Oh, great. It, yeah. On what he said. And it's that, um, 
um, don't try to solve any problems with somebody who's in that state. When you think they're in that state, just it's like talking to a drunk person. He said, mm-hmm. there's no point in trying to like solve a problem. Right. They can't do it right now, but they will come back. Then he said, he does this thing where he's, <laughs> this is a good one. He says, it feels like this conversation is getting a little intense. Can we take five minutes and then come back to it? Mm, and the great. secret he said is to come, you've got to always plant the seed. I'm coming back. I'm not abandoning you because mm-hmm. so many of us with CPTSD just, mm-hmm. you know. That's a big piece. Yeah. I'm storming out on you. Oh, it's just terrible. It's devastating. And it just mm-hmm. sets off more dysregulation and, you know, a big, uh, a dysregulated Somebody just saying, I can't deal with you right now and storming out used to cost me three days of being able to work. Mm-hmm. It was right. so capsizing to my life. And um, so he just says, can we just take a little break and come back? And, I, and, and I'll say yes now. I just realized, yeah, okay. And I told him, I don't even have to agree with you that it's necessary. If you ever feel like you have to do that, you can do that and I will respect it. And the thing is, is sometimes he needs to do it for himself. He realizes mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sometimes mm-hmm. he just needs a little break himself because he's feeling too emotional about what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. He's much more level-headed than me. So it's seldom him, but it's good <laughs> for him too. And then he knows that, um, and I think this is not uncommon, but I become very sensitive about the way I'm, the way touch, like I don't want to be touched mm-hmm. by somebody who's feeling angry at me. So he used to just put his hand on my shoulder or something and say, yeah, but that's not true. And that hand on my shoulder went matched with the voice. I would just flip out. I wouldn't uh, flip out is too strong a word. I would dysregulate. Right. No longer be able to be present. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so he learned that to be careful about touch and say, do you need a hug right now? And sometimes I say yes. And sometimes I say no. And basically, you know, there's, I don't know. I can't tell you when it is yes and when it's no, but when I can handle a hug, a hug can put me back together real fast. That squeezing Mm -hmm. and the way that we swaddle babies, you know, babies who are just like, ah, that's dysregulation and swaddling helps them re-regulate, touch helps them re-regulate, holding, but not all touch is okay at all times. So Mm. it used to just drive him crazy that I was so picky about that. And how was he supposed to read my mind? But he, he started to learn that. And then not to belittle and demean me if I'm saying anything about PTSD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or say, I'm just trying to make an excuse. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's ended up really respecting what I'm doing. You know, he's, he's, he's seen what I'm doing online and he's overheard me on the phone when I'm trying to help other people. And he's come to really, really respect this. And um, recommend people to me and and feel proud of it and and he's totally come around but it wasn't there at first he, yeah. to him it just seemed like I I was being randomly unreasonable well and, and that's the hard part is like as a caretaker you love this person so you want to fix it oh, <laughs> so, yeah and so you come up with these reasonable ideas to fix yeah. it and and yeah. their meaning is good you know the, yeah. their their thought is good but those two are it's like oil and water you know reason yeah. and a dysregulation are just yeah. opposites and so so yeah. you have to learn to speak a different language because that's just different it's just not it's not figuring out some logical way of backing your way out it's it's everything but (laughs) well I think knowing these things can can restore love to so many people who love each Uh, other that said I just want to say like no one should put up with abuse Mm -hmm. and 
if it's hitting, at least that's clear. But sometimes people who are dysregulated can be really verbally or emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. Threats, you know, I'm going to leave you. You're never going to see me again. Or, um, or um, calling names, you know, or just ranting incessantly, you know, and you did this and you did that and just like beating them down. Mm-hmm. And that that's abuse too. And nobody is obliged to put up with abuse. Yeah. So if, if, if a person who gets dysregulated is doing that, I just want to tell you, if you can take responsibility for one thing, it's to remove yourself from the room when you've gotten that way. You will never be glad that you continued down mm-hmm. that road. And there's no telling, like, I've never been in a relationship where I got hit, which is amazing because I grew up in that kind of wow. a house. But I haven't been in that situation. But I just know that um, if I was ever around a person who was inclined to strike or hit, mm-hmm. the way that I was acting when I used to get dysregulated like that and have no solution for it w- would probably escalate violence. So <laughs> it's just safe and it's caring to just restrain, you know, just take yourself out of the situation and tell yourself, if this is so important, I can talk about it in an hour, right? Or I can talk about it tomorrow. And I have a a rule with myself, if it feels urgent, make it two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we've got to get used to I mean, that's what I was just teaching right before I got on is like, it's those physical sensations, the heart beating, mm-hmm. the sweaty palms, like it, it, nothing comes good out of that situation. The heart, you know, your breathing is different. Like that's the deregulation and, and it's nothing good comes out of that. The, the, the logic part of the brain is offline at that point. And so if it's really that important, then yeah, let's talk about it when those things have calmed down. <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. Let's get those yeah. things online. And then the conversation's a hundred percent different. Yes. And then, and then every feeling that you're having is completely valid. Every worry, you know, like it's not that they are not valid. It's just those two together kind of, it becomes, it just feed, it's a feeding ground. It's like, it just goes up and up and up and bigger and bigger, bigger, instead of being able to be resolved in that state of being. Yeah. And you, you know, you know, you're dealing with somebody who's kind of in a bad, who's, Sometimes we're, we're here in reality, but we're watching a movie on top of that based on a, you know, the past. And so a dysregulated person, and now that I, you know, coach people, I, I hear, I hear it even more than I ever have, you know, what it's like when people are dysregulated, but that something that's, let's say uh, somebody didn't invite them to a party, you know, and the, that extra layer, the unpleasant movie that's layered on top of reality is like, obviously I'm awful and no one likes me and I'm going to be alone forever. Mm-hmm. And those are heavy thoughts to have. And everybody has those thoughts. They're like core survival thoughts. Mm-hmm. But when they just start taking control of your perception of reality and they start running your mouth, mm-hmm. damage is done. Mm-hmm. And nobody can help you. You know, when you, if you, if you say, you know, you forgot to, um, you forgot to come home for dinner when you said you would, um, turns into, obviously you don't care about me. You just want to hurt me. Well, how is a person supposed to respond to that? Mm-hmm. And when they say, but that's not what I meant, I just forgot, or I got stuck in traffic, or, you know, whatever reason they have. To a person who's dysregulated, it's like, now you see, you think I'm crazy, you invalidate everything I say, everything just starts getting amplified. So you can't really expect people to be cozy, lovey-dovey, happy. Right. <laughs> or stay mm-hmm. when that kind of thing is going on all the time, because it's crazy making, it's too mm-hmm. much for a person. And that's the, just the horrible, you know, that's for so many people with childhood PTSD, 
to get into that state, to have no way out, to never be understood, to not be able to get professional help. It was a terrible time. And now mm-hmm. it's a new time. It's a new time. And it's a new time. It's a new time. <laughs> and, and the crappy childhood fairy who make it so <laughs> like every day and, and accessible. And, and I don't think that kind of language, what you just went into being able to speak in that way, I don't know if it could come from somebody that doesn't experience it you know, that it isn't on that side of it. You know, you, you speak from an authority that is, that, that is helpful, but also compassionate because it has been your experience too. And so that, um, that authority that you have in that way, I I think is just priceless. And so the fact that you share that online on YouTube, you're a famous YouTube star (laughs) and then you have wonderful classes. So tell us about your classes that you teach. Like you actually have courses that you teach um, right online. So tell us what some of those are. Yeah. My main course is called healing childhood PTSD and it's about three hours of video content and worksheets that covers the science of what this is and what we know about it, it covers dysregulation and what that looks like and how, you know, how you would have might've experienced it in your life. And the third section is about changing your life. And that I'm the one who's saying, you know, this is not, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a neurological injury. And then it be, it becomes a matter of behavior and character in all the ways that we calcified our, our hurt, our hurt selves and, develop bad habits and how we interact with people. So changing your life on that level, uh, that's my main class. And that's the good place to start. I have a class on dating and relationships for people with childhood PTSD. And that's for people who have had a pattern of diving in too fast and ending up with people who are either um, emotionally unavailable or abusive or married or addicts, or in some way can't fulfill the um, couple thing that, that we're seeking. And then that has a whole section called structured dating. And it's a remedial dating approach that helps to go slowly and get to know somebody first. It sounds so simple, but right. it, if, if somebody doesn't teach you, there's no way to know how to do it. And that's how I ended up happily married. Do you think then, that that affects friendships too? Like, do you think that's, you know, not just, do you, have you had a, have you had to learn to be just a friend to someone differently? Like <laughs> specifically, would you say? I, well, one thing I've learned from being crappy childhood fairy is that all forms of connection, I think I always say this childhood PTSD is an injury to our ability to connect with other people. Mm -hmm. And it causes no end of suffering to struggle with that and all the sort of straight maladaptations that we have for that and trauma driven beliefs that we have about people. Mm -hmm. And also just a flat out just getting so triggered by other people that we can't deal with it. So I've noticed there's kind of a, there's a couple of kinds of PTSD. One is people who get too enmeshed with people too quickly. One is people who avoid people altogether. They, they might like to have more people in their lives, but it's just too much. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's, I have a course coming out next month. That's all about connection. <laughs> oh, wow. And I have a course that's all about dysregulation. It's a boot camp, and every day you get a video and a worksheet and you work on different aspects of dysregulation. Wow. People like that. My most popular course is free, and um, I can share a link with you on that. It's Great. called the Daily Practice, and it's the techniques. It's the story of how I learned this, how to do the techniques. And everybody who takes that course or any of my courses is invited to free Zoom calls that I do twice a month, and we we use the techniques together, and I take questions and 
you know, we have a little community around it. Yeah, they're amazing. You have people from around the world. I, I, I'm, that is so amazing. And I'm so glad that they can connect with you. I, I love it. I love it. Thank you for listening. Join the community of knowledge and growth at thewholenessnetwork.com.